all right welcome back to this inaugural mailbag edition of eastern conference 15 and 60 we decided to go that route since there's not quite enough film or stats uh, to draw many conclusions yet if you missed atlanta through indiana that was yesterday's program you can go back and listen to that before we bring in liam though to talk miami heat i want to give you this from the locked on podcast network that gives a fantastic treatment to all 30 nba teams you must love hoops if you're enjoying another great episode of dunked on the locked on podcast network has more hoops for you locked on has a podcast on every nba team if you're a Lakers fan, a Bucks fan, a Celtics fan, or a Mavericks fan, the Locked On Podcast Network has a daily podcast on your favorite team. All 30 NBA teams have a daily podcast at Locked On. Search on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I was bringing Liam now to talk a little about the one and two Miami Heat. So what is our question about the Heat, Liam? So the question about the Heat is how would you handle their wing rotation and how would you handle it once waiters returns, which we have no idea what the timetable is on that. So I'll handle the first part of the the big breakout for the Heat, you know, in the early part of the season is Rodney Magruder has been really good so far. So I think you got to give him a lot of minutes. Um, I don't know, like 30 or so is what I think for him and Richardson. Uh, Magruder so far, 16 points per game seven rebounds a game four assists per game 66 true shooting percentage uh good defense so I, I think he's a really quality wing that was injured most of last season he can give them a lot of uh, spacing from the perimeter as well as some defense and Richardson is the guy they've invested in obviously the talk of the Jimmy Butler trade so he's gonna need a lot of minutes and after that it gets a little bit dicey right now Wayne Ellington's day-to-day with I think it's an ankle injury so he'll be back soon I think he needs a lot of minutes uh Wade quite frankly you know with his defense slipping even another yeah. notch so far this yeah season, i saw, I saw you tweeted out you, know, you tweeted out some, uh, some some film of, of him just getting completely destroyed on back cuts yeah i mean honestly i was i was gonna mention it to you i think he's probably a candidate i don't know if you're gonna do the all te- all worst team <laughs> defense this year article but he's definitely uh he's gonna be a candidate for that for sure but what, what do you think about the wing rotation they've got a couple other guys but i'll, I'll talk I about think a lot of it later. depends on where they're gonna be this year as well you know i think and it's difficult because so many of these guys are sort of one-dimensional. I mean, and I guess Magruder, you know, if he's going to shoot as well as he has, which he's not, but, you know, if he can become a quality shooter uh, and he's a restricted free agent at the end of this year as well and, and will have a minimum cap hold, although that won't matter, they'll be capped out. Uh, Richardson obviously is a big part of this team and his future, uh, assuming he doesn't get moved in a potential Jimmy Butler deal, but he's got four more years left on his contract, or at least three. He's got a, a player option on that last year that I, if he continues to be the same guy you might opt out of uh you know waiters hard he's got to be at the bottom of the pecking order but again they could really use his skill set though right i mean they don't really have anyone who can get to the basket that's the same reason why Dwayne wade is still probably more valuable on this team uh than any other team because again you know Dragic hasn't looked great in the early going so far and he's really the one guy on this team who could do much uh off the dribble winslow where does he fit in well you know they just extended him so he's part of the future also are you going to play him at the four they also got james johnson alinek has been getting minutes at the four so then you got three centers if alinek's not going to play at the four uh, as well three centers who probably all deserve time and white side alinek and 
uh bam who they're also trying to develop so i think a lot of it just depends on what the mission is and what the matchup is and then you know they don't have any great shooters so ellington comes in there they really need him but he's probably the worst of those guys defensively other than wade so all of them bring something but you really just can't play all of them and that's what was the impetus for the question i'm sure uh and then certainly as this team if you know they look like they're kind of trending towards the eighth seed or they even like potentially fall out of the playoffs which is you know their their rough start they've had a lot of guys injured so maybe it's tough to say that that's going to continue but uh you know then it becomes easy right we just we're going to play these young guys and you know maybe we try to move some of these uh the older guys who uh you know aren't on the shortest of contracts but yeah it's very difficult because a a lot of these guys deserve time but it's difficult to come up with like a good consolidation trade because what they really need is to upgrade their talent and that's why the butler trade uh is so appealing but if minnesota is going to keep asking for the farm then they can't do that either yeah and i've been generally opposed to the butler trade just because i think that ties up a lot of their cap long term and you know miami is a team where they actually their cap space is more valuable than most teams because they actually have the potential of learning a top free agent and the back end of that butler contract may be so good for them but and you touched about no no no, i guess just to finish up on butler i mean i think it all just depends what your goal is as a franchise right i mean now they're pretty much capped out to what the summer of 2021 and yeah i guess butler if they re-sign him could end up being a bit of an albatross with the, those five years we'll see how he looks by the end of this year he had that great game the other night at home uh but you know didn't look good in, in the first game so we'll see how he's playing by the end of the year but i think you know you make the move and just see what the team looks like with him there right you know if you can get to 50 wins that's worth keeping going for a, a couple of years even if you're not a championship contender like those wins aren't useless but if you bring him in and you know you're still kind of the same team that you always were then all right you know you took the chance and maybe you just don't offer him that contract or you offer him a little bit less over the five years uh so but i think just where they're going right now is basically nowhere so uh, until 2021 anyway so you might as well just like bring him in a higher end talent see if you can make that consolidation trade and the wolves could you know could benefit from that because they have so little depth right now you know a magruder a winslow a richardson like those guys an ellington like any of those guys could help the wolves immensely um so this is kind of your really your chance to kind of do this like you know five quarters for a dollar or you know something like that or three quarters for a dollar whatever you want to term it so i I would take the risk because it's like you know what's the downside uh i think it's i I, actually i think this is a a, a better way to put it actually i was talking to my uh my sister about this the other day ironically enough that uh the the sometimes risk is always framed in terms of okay we have something here and it's risky to change up right but to me, the risk is almost more not doing it, right? Your your risk is just being locked in to this team and really having no way to get out of it. And so, yeah, you're, there's a chance that it wouldn't work, but there's really like not much downside to me uh, to taking this risk because you don't have anything that's so great right now. And that's definitely a fair point. They were by point differential a 42-win team. So then you got to ask yourself, how many wins does Butler give you? So, I mean, maybe that gets them up to 50. Maybe they make a couple internal improvements along um, with the team this year. But I guess my concern is more just the back yeah. part of it. And I understand what you're saying. Like, yeah. They're not well, going and if right it doesn't now. look like he's so, worth it, then you don't offer him the contract. You know what I mean? You take the risk and you just, I mean, to me, it's like, okay, if we win 40 games this year, then we offer him that contract. That's when it really falls apart. But uh, I mean, they, they just don't have a path on this team to having an above average offense right now i think that's their biggest problem no and that's definitely i mean an issue especially with uh, some of the guys that they've given money to where i feel like they feel like they're pressured to play hassan Whiteside down the stretch and i think you know maybe putting 
adding Linux in some of those lineups would juice some of them offensively. But you're right, this team lacks some creators. Uh, Jason uh, Richardson is, you know, trying to develop some of it. And this season, he he's taken 15 pull up threes. Last season, all last season, he wow. took 20 pull up threes. So they're definitely giving him the ball more to try and create more. Um, and even in the Washington game, they gave him the ball down the stretch to create and pick and roll. And the problem was they they kept Wade on yeah. the floor, so Wade would be, you know, in the corner three spot, and they just collapsed on him and shut down anything. So I'd like to see what Richardson can do with a little bit more, you know, ball handling juice that seems like he's developed a little bit of it. And, you know, I, but I think a big key with it is, you know, he needs a space floor to do it. And that's why I think a lot of the lineups with Olenek, you know, make a big difference. I, I looked at some of their lineups from last year and the difference in assist percentage with Olenek on the court and off the court is massive. It's like yeah. eight percentage points. It's the difference between like the third best assist percentage in the league and like the 27th. So I think it's really important for them to be able to move the ball a lot because like you said, they don't have a lot of great on-ball creators. But I think with Spo, there is a chance for this offense to get up to, you know, close to like average with, you know, the shooters that they have, which I know isn't much to write home about, but it's at least, you know, there's some positive positives to take away from, you know, the early part of having Magruder and Richardson. All right. So, so I'm going to put you on the spot here because we're, we're past our eight minutes, but since it's Liam, we're, we're going to go uh, slightly longer here. Um, put these guys in order of how much they should play all, all those wing, uh, those guys in the potential wing rotation. We didn't even really talk about Tyler Johnson much either, right? Like he's another guy who's, he's really more of a wing th- but plays point guard for them <laughs> eight minutes isn't enough time to, yeah. well yeah yeah Go so ahead. all right so so put him in order so richardson plays the most right all right who's who's gonna play the second most i've been a huge magruder fan even before this season and i think with what he showed you so far wow, I think that's, you gotta go that's great based on three games or or like that he's gonna shoot this well well i yeah. was high on him before yeah and it's it's not even just the shooting like he's passing yeah. much more than i thought he would like he's played some pick and roll he's had some nice lobs to white side like I, there haven't been many negatives to take away from those first three games and you know as someone like me that had a lot of faith in him before the season uh and I, I don't know who else who would you have taken second oh yeah i mean maybe when he's healthy uh ellington would certainly be up there um right right i mean like <laughs> exactly. yeah I, I guess like, i guess magruder is really probably the only one of those guys the only other one of those guys who's a two-way guy so yeah I, I understand your point there i'm just if he continues to play at this level i completely agree with you i'm just not quite sold on that yet and there are some other guys with big pedigrees here too uh and also there's the component that hey you know you might want to keep his price down and restricted free agency a little bit that's that's fair but and, and, and you mentioned like waiters is like exactly the type of guy they need the type of like usage get get your own shot in iso but i mean <laughs> i don't know if you saw the pictures of him coming into training camp i think it's gonna be a while before he's you know able to play minutes and especially yeah he, he is uh training. a little more corpulent than he was a couple years ago i'm guessing yeah that's a generous <laughs> way to say it uh i i <laughs> i, I want to be uh politically correct here so i won't say more than that, um but, yeah. okay so so magruder this, this is your show here i uh magruder second and then who would be third well if, for them it's definitely going to be wade just because he's going to have those legacy minutes but if you're just like best team on the floor, yeah. I think it'd be Ellington. Um, I mean, he had a great shooting season last year, and he like if they're gonna run a crunch time lineup out there, I I think I'd want him out there if they're gonna have Jason uh, Josh Richardson handling the ball, just because they can run on the weak side. They can have like a pin down for Ellington coming off. They can have you know multiple you know things going on in yeah. the play to distract the defense, and they they're gonna need that because they don't have enough you know creation talent to just run a straight pick and roll every play. Have three guys standing around and you know get a good shot off. Yeah. So so then uh, yeah, I mean waiters. 
I think we can kind of just leave him out of it until he's healthy at, at this point. Um, and you're just going to kind of have Tyler Johnson be your backup one. Yeah, that's where he's he's been playing. I mean, when he plays in those lineups with Wade, Wade's the primarily ball handler yeah. anyway, but jo- Johnson's guarding the point guard. Yeah, so, and, yeah. and then what about Winslow? You're going to have him even behind all those guys? You know, that's tough too. They just signed to the extension. It's, uh, yeah, this is, I, I didn't expect to spend this long on this question, but it really is like quite difficult. And I mean, you got Derek Jones Jr. who's, who's like, no. has looked pretty good for them too. I mean, there's, they got a lot of guys on this team. And the, the roster construction is, is really, really strange. Like Goran, Goran Dragic is the only like true point guard. They have six shooting guards, uh, Richardson, Ellington, Magruder, Wade, Johnson, Waiters. And then they have three power. I, I view Winslow as more of a yeah. power forward. So they have James Johnson, Derek Jones Jr. And Justice Winslow power forward. And they have three centers that deserve, you know, rotation minutes with Whiteside, uh, Olenek and Bam. So yeah, I mean, this, this is probably the most interesting rotation to ask, like who should play when, because there are so many, you know, different options that they could go through. So I, I think Winslow's on off numbers were better last season when he played small forward, but I, I still view him yeah. as more of a power forward, especially with the lack yeah. of shooting if, that if he you has. Play so. him with, if you play him I, with Olenek, I don't know. you know, maybe it looks a little bit better if Olenek is playing center, you can get away with him. But then, you know, James Johnson is kind of, he's like, you know, an average shooting power forward, maybe a little below average in this day and age. Um, yeah, and I, I didn't expect to, to, you know, for this to be true, but I looked up last season and the lineups with Bam and Olenek were actually pretty good. So maybe, you know, Bam plays some time at the four. I don't know if, who you'd consider the power forward out of the yeah. Olenek-Bam combo, but I mean, maybe they play. And then James Johnson had a pretty good season last year. So I, I feel like he'd be the my first choice at power forward. So And then, like you said, Derek Jones has had a pretty good couple games here that he might be starting to turn some of his potential into actual production. So and he'll probably be third on the depth chart for power forwards, but they, they have a lot of guys that, you know, could play in a rotation on most teams, but, you know, nobody that, no, none of that top end talent that you, you know, want to see yeah. on a good team. So I, I don't know. They're really interesting to me, even though they're gonna, not going to. And you got to be team, very obviously. careful with the combinations, too, right? There's, it's very easy to not get enough shooting or not get enough defense and definitely not get enough creation uh, because all of these guys pretty much are limited other than maybe Richardson in one facet of that or another. All right, that was great. Let's uh, move on right after this. Let's talk some about Master Class. They just released a class from six-time World Series of Poker champ Daniel Negranu. And yes, I actually know how to pronounce his name without the phonetic spelling. Thank you very much, Copy. I watched a little bit of World Series of Poker back during the poker boom a a few years ago. And I wish that class uh, would have been around because, quite frankly... I was always terrible at poker, and I stopped playing because I lost every single time. If I'd had this class, that wouldn't have been the case. If you're serious about poker, or if you just want to be the best player among your friends, you don't want to miss the secrets Negrano shares in this class. In over seven hours of high-quality video lessons, he teaches tournament strategy and gives you exclusive insights into the mental side of the game. And Daniel Negrano's class isn't the only one at Master Class. They now have over 30 classes, including one by Stephen Curry, which I I really enjoyed. Great gift with the holiday season coming up for the basketball players in your life. They've got Bob Woodward on investigative journalism. They've got Annie Leibovitz on photography. They've got a number of great cooking classes as well. Whatever you're interested in, Masterclass has got a class for you. Today, listeners can unlock access to Daniel Negreanu's class as well as every single Masterclass for a year. Now available at masterclass.com slash capspace. Gain unlimited access to over 35, I'm sorry, I shorted them, over 35 world-class masters, not just 30, all for one surprisingly low annual price. Masterclass.com slash capspace is that URL. Easy remember, we 
talk about cap space all the time on the program you get unlimited master classes at masterclass.com slash cap space let them know if that slash cap space url that you came from us All right, always good to hear from Liam, but Danny is back now. Let's do some Milwaukee Bucks. Our question for them, what players should the Bucks target as Giannis's second banana that are realistic? This is a way bigger challenge than I thought it was. And the reason why is because Milwaukee, partially because they paid Ersani Lusova, he got multiple years, and because they're, those kind of around $10 million contracts don't expire. Even if Eric Bledsoe left, they still wouldn't really have functional cap space. So I think the answer is actually probably Chris Middleton. I think that's going to be really how this works out. And for me, the more likely avenue to get somebody better than Chris Middleton would be through a trade. And I guess because in the summer, Brogdon's a free agent, so signing trades are always less likely to bring in a big fish. Maybe that would involve Thon. Maybe it would involve Dante DiVincenzo. But it's hard for them to get a lot, to get that high event player. They can get better by getting deeper and getting quality players. But adding a second banana is tough. The Bucks project at 18 million in cap space that could grow to maybe 21 if they lose their pick but they seem unlikely to since it's protected 17 to 30 that's probably going to end up going in 2020 so and that's without Middleton's cap hold, which will be 19 million. So that just wipes that out, just even to keep his cap hold on the books. And same thing with Bledsoe, uh, his cap hold 22 million. So, and then if you bring both of those guys back, just at what their cap hold would be, and Middleton's going to cost a lot more than that. We'll see about Bledsoe, but then they're right up against the tax already uh, with uh, you know that brilliant Ilya Sofa signing, who has helped quite a bit, and I'm sure will help them this year. But uh, so yeah, it probably is going to be Chris Middleton, and he is a, a good shooter. He's got some ice ability as well if they lost both if they lost both middleton and bledsoe and you know they still have henson and del vadova on the books for a combined 20 million so maybe they could just you know try to give up a pick or stretch those guys and you know, they could so that could get them to you know call it maybe 35 million in space what could be out there for 35 million in space keeping in mind that they've now lost middleton and lost bledsoe and oh by the way you also have to re-sign malcolm brogdon as well though his cap hold is tiny and he's a restricted free agent but you know is this team going to pay the luxury tax oh of course they will because they got publicly funded money for a stadium They'll, they'll surely pay the luxury tax oh wait no they're not going to uh so I would suspect, uh, you know, if they have that 35 million, they got nothing at point guard. They have a desperate need for another shooter and creator on the wing as well. So who's out there? Oh God. I mean, you know, Harrison Barnes maybe, or, you know, there, it is a deep point. Kemba guard. would yeah, be really Kemba fun. would be interesting. It is a deep point guard market. A lot of it. So, so much of it really depends on, you know, it's really kind of feast or famine too, because if things go well for them this year, let's say they have like, you know, a second round exit in the game seven or they even make it to the conference finals which you know i, I don't think that's going to be possible i don't think they could beat boston or, or toronto as long as toronto's healthy um and Kawhi looking at pretty solid so far uh but you know if they get to the conference finals then they're probably going to just pay whatever to bring everyone back if they lose in the first round and especially if they don't have a great regular season they're looking great so far but we'll see uh then it seems more likely that they wouldn't pay through the nose to bring all those guys back and they might try to reset things but then they're a less attractive 
destination as well right so you know their ability to lure free agents would be higher if they win more but if they win more they're more likely to just bring everyone back and and you know because of the cap rules you can bring back middleton and bledsoe stay over the cap you basically can only get one player probably who's the quality of those guys if you let them both go so all of those things really seem to make a ton of sense but what you fear is going to happen is they're going to pay middleton a ton they're going to play pay Bledsoe a ton. And then, you know, if Giannis is ready to leave in a year because they're not actually contending for a championship, then, you know, you're stuck with those contracts are probably going to be bad because you made win now moves. So they're really in a very difficult spot, despite the fact that they might be good this year. They got Bud. They're looking a lot better, but they need to be a lot, lot better. They need to be in the conference finals. And, you know, maybe at the end of the year, they'll have looked this good for so long and Toronto and Boston won't look as good or Philly won't look as good. And we could actually say, hey, they might get to the conference finals but if they're not really getting the conference finals like it's hard to imagine Giannis is going to stick around and that they'll be a free agent destination so it's really it's really difficult i mean they have there are point guards out there you know you you could get try to get a, a spencer dinwiddie type and hope that you hit on him or you know goran dragic as a player option or jeff teague is a player option or you know you mentioned kemba as a possibility though he'll have plenty of suitors you would think um don't think jimmy butler is going to be going there well oh and something else worth noting here is how does Giannis's posturing publicly or privately in terms of signing a designated veteran extension factor in not only to the Bucks decision making, but also theoretical other free agents like Kemba Walker, let's say, is probably not going to commit to signing with the Bucks if Giannis is on a one year contract functionally because it's like, hey, I'm committing. If he has similar offers other places, they become less desirable because he knows well, that that money well, is to, already on the table. To be clear, so. Giannis would not be eligible to sign that extension until the 2020 off season but next year is kind of the year that is going to determine whether he will sign that or not yeah well and i th- i think there could be like i think there could be overtures that you know that kind of an idea maybe yeah yeah and, and surely he can't actually and, sign and, and all he's got to do is make an all nba team this year and then he will be eligible for that extension in the summer of uh 2020 uh regardless even if he doesn't play a single moment for uh next year you know same same thing as Kawhi. basically if you make it two out of the last three years is all you have to do so he made it last year seems damn good bet to make it this year so uh yeah i, I mean and i think you know there are some who might say the designated player vendor extension has failed and i think it's stupid you know i think you should just be able to pay everyone 35 percent whenever you want to um but and that includes guys coming off of rookie contracts even but you can at least say that part of the purpose that it serves is just bringing matters to a head and hey if we if we can't offer you this extension or if we we don't want to offer you this extension we're just going to move you you know and so it gives teams clarity earlier on which you know may not have been entirely an intended consequence of of this but i think it is something that actually has helped these teams rather than just getting so deep into the process that you just you know you just lose the guy for nothing at the end it's like hey Kawhi leonard we're, we're not gonna offer you this extension so we might we got to trade you now you know um all right we got about a minute left here you want to do another how about this all-stars question sure so the question is will the bucks have two or more all-stars this year i mean they have one one locked in in Giannis and they're only being 12 spots makes it harder for Middleton to make it especially if the Bucks are let's say the third or fourth ranked team in the Eastern Conference so I'm going to say it's less likely that either Middleton or Bledsoe makes it but it is certainly possible and I I think there's a distinct chance that Middleton deserves it and doesn't end up 
getting the spot we'll see i mean maybe if they are just killing it and they're on pace for like 55 wins and they're you know a top three seed as of the time it's selected it's, it, it could happen but we went through it with blake griffin yesterday i mean there's a lot of competition uh, these days and so there he would really have to kind of get the narrative behind them i, I always find these oh will he make the all-star team questions less interesting because i just like you could ask me whether he's deserved to make the all-star team i think it's probably not going to but like having to do this oh will he well okay so then you gotta think how many games will they have won and like what's the narrative and are, are the coaches sick of voting for all these other people and what kind of people do the coaches usually vote for uh you know and and that's all that's not very interesting to me compared to like actually analyzing who's a better player and deserves it all right let's talk about the knicks we should start this with a little bit of news. Kevin Knox is going to be out for two to four weeks with a left ankle injury, which is certainly unfortunate, but he'll be back in plenty of time to evaluate everything else. And the Knicks are, this that doesn't make this a lost season or anything like that. So it's unfortunate. We love to see him on the floor, but they have enough time. Yeah, he'll be reevaluated in one week. Uh, but yeah, it didn't look like a great ankle sprain. And the initial diagnosis, of course, uh, was the, the two to four week. Courtney Lee also yet to play. Uh, he's listed as, uh, he's not going to play tonight against Milwaukee and still has uh this neck injury which is it really starts to get a little worrisome that it's been this long that's one of those things that like it's hard to really get a timetable for uh so uh, the Knicks did completely destroy the Hawks the other night uh but sorry I completely distracted myself we're doing the Knox or, or Neil Keenan question we haven't even ah, asked yes, it good. yet but that is the question we okay. were going to do so the question is should kevin knox or frank nilkina start we'll presume once when they're both healthy and everybody else is healthy yeah why the hell not i, I mean i think the, the only reason you wouldn't start knox would be well so are we saying that it's a, a pick between those or just like both of them could start potentially just well i i think you could ask it either way i mean should knox or frank start i think the answer is both and they over the course of this season the Knicks should their main goal should be answering questions about their yeah, young and helping because, them develop you know too. it's not winning yeah. yeah and helping them develop so figuring out whether Frank can be a, a primary ball handler or not what position he defends best is important what what Knox's ideal role on both ends of the floor is and so I would say starting both those guys maybe not the whole year but starting them a fair portion of the year would be the best for the purposes of evaluation and especially starting them once they get Kristaps Porzingis back if it happens at a moment in time where they can actually get a usable set of information yeah and maybe you could try to get Knox some minutes at the four as well the, the argument against playing him at this point because the Knicks are going nowhere this year is just that hey you have to have playing time as a reward for getting them to do the little things that actually are going to impact winning uh and you know Knox is not known for his ability to do that he's more of a score but you can still do that and start him anyway I mean and you might as well start him just for his trade value right he just racks some racks up some counting stats you see more of them you know the fans get more excited he just gets a little more buzz like yeah go ahead and start him I, I think um also worth noting by the way remember how you do you want to just briefly reiterate why you thought the Hazonia signing was so ridiculous? Yeah. So, hmm, best way to put this. They had the middle-level exception, and even though the Knicks knew they didn't want to put long-term money on their books, they could have given themselves functionality with that, maybe through a non-guaranteed season or a team option. They could have done either using the full middle-level exception. So, if Hazonia does well, they all they have are non-bird rights, which would be enough to retain him, but he would have a big cap hold. And if he does poorly, then they get nothing for it anyway. So, 
you need to when you're not going to be good, and we all knew they weren't going to be good. We Porzingis was already out; like that was that was a known when the offseason started. You then use your exceptions to generate value, not for the present year, but for future years, and they absolutely failed at doing that. Well, and now it's even more ridiculous because he's only played 42 minutes in the first three games and that's with Knox getting hurt pretty early uh in that game against the Hawks or or it might have actually been in the the game against the Nets excuse me but so he's still not even getting out there and that's this is with Lee injured and not playing so he clearly is like in the doghouse and isn't getting any minutes and it's just like so he's not gonna like apparently even play this year he's he was always a flyer but you know he's behind the rotation uh for a guy who's even younger than him and presumably you know executes even worse because he's younger uh, and now Knox is injured maybe we'll see more of them now but you know alonzo trier is well, playing over him one, yeah one other big part of this is i don't think anybody thinks mario zonia is underpaid so you can't trade him as a value contract yeah uh i have not had a chance to watch a full knicks game yet have you i haven't watched a full game yet and so with trier saw some of him in summer league intrigued by his athleticism man in preseason i watched a, a fair amount of the knicks so i don't know yet what his ideal role is though it's been it's been nice to see him pop a little bit but i want to see more before we really before i make a more definitive evaluation that's something if i had to ballpark it i'd say i want about another month of information but I, i'm looking forward to doing it yeah he has the name isozo known as as a guy who has some moves decent shooter and score has some athleticism so good guy to, for them to get at the back end of the roster and you know, it was very highly touted if a very old prospect for his age uh coming out of Arizona was on the Hoop Summit team a few years ago. So he was known as, as one of the big players in his class, although he was, again, you know, really more than a year older than a lot of the guys in his class. So he's definitely someone to watch. The exact kind of guy you want to take a, a chance on, though at the end we only had two knicks questions that's amazing should, should we just maybe their fans can, are can i just ask you a knicks question of course you can All right, we got like two minutes left here okay how many games would you project mitchell robinson to start this season i'm gonna go with 10 because i feel like fizdale is gonna push a little bit harder and the other big problem is that depending on what happens with porzingis they have somebody else who plays eh, maybe it'll be a little bit more than that um i'm i'm still gonna go with 10 though because it'll be good to see him get his feet wet against back backups and you never know if he's going to be healthy or not so the pivot will happen probably before that it should happen pretty early but that's my guess is 10 yeah on saturday against the celtics robinson actually played some minutes next to ennis Cantor, but they also have no fours on this team uh and not really many threes with uh knocks out as well and, and he was struggled with that ankle injury that he suffered in the preseason noah vonley has also been playing a, a fair amount that's annoying that vonley would play over robinson but it's early and, and fisdale uh, you know this is kind of the same question as with next he's especially coming in as a new coach this year you're trying to set a tone for what you expect from this team and you know that defense and working hard and little plays and all that and all that stuff is going to be what gets you time and so you know he kind of can't really just start a guy in robinson who just probably doesn't really know what he's doing even if robinson kind of might be more effective ultimately uh, then Vonley that doesn't really just send the right message to the team that you know you can just waltz in here and start basically without you know knowing the concepts as well even if he's making up for it in other areas is he, and and I don't know that I even agree with this but I think that's kind of the thought is number one the coach coaches probably equate making mistakes to losing maybe more than it, they actually should sometimes 
because you're it just obscures all the good things that that player can do and robinson you know is, is kind of one of those guys i'm not saying he's like some great winning player right now but just that coaches fixate on mistakes and correlate that with losing more so than you know maybe someone who's a little bit more neutral because it just kills them when you know guys don't execute the system but also i think they're yeah can i make uh, yeah, sorry please can i make kind of a bridging point with this and the next team we're going to talk about where like these centers who are better than some of the options that are available for these teams that are expiring contracts and not going to probably be a part of their futures just like what's going to happen with these guys because like i don't see any team saying we need ennis kenner so like is ennis kenner going to get bought out i, I it's I, i'm really interested in how this turns out yeah uh, and uh vucevic is another one too but yeah just to fin- finish my point there though i think that when you're trying to set the culture especially early in the season it's just like, like the idea that mistakes won't be tolerated i think you know kind of takes on an outsized importance um so we'll see what happens to robinson i imagine by the end of the year he'll be playing over noah Fonley, who's you know again on a one-year deal and not a guy that i hate as a player i think he was a good flyer but again you know not a guy who has any upside in terms of like a non-guarantee or or you know anything that, that you talked about um let's talk uh a little orlando magic here so the primary question here is how do you see the big man rotation shaking out and what are your favorite big man combinations for the magic do I have and to pick one? well i'll start so i i see it Taking out my instinct is especially with Steve Clifford again, a, a new head coach trying to set a tone. I'm guessing ownership has expectations for this season that we'll see more Vooch, especially early in the season. I actively dislike playing either, however you want to define terms, either Gordon or Isaac at the three, just because they have such a big need for offense. So that's a place to start here. Yeah, I mean, to me, Isaac at the five and Gordon at the four is still sort of what I want to see the most. Uh, just for my own uh, aesthetics, no Nikola Vucevic. I mean, he is just, uh, there are a few players that I dislike watching more in the league at this point a guy who just has an outsized idea of his own importance like despite the fact that he's worked hard to add a three-pointer his game i'll give him credit for that but just never gets to the foul line wants the ball all the time either to either make passes or post up takes still some pretty bad shots and is just an absolute complete post on defense and so i really just don't like watching him at all i mean just any but any pick and roll ball handler on the other team just you know can waltz into an open jumper or if he makes a couple of jumpers, then just blow by uh, Vooch for a lamp. So take him out of there for me. He's not part of the future of this team. He's an expiring contract. So I, I think really, you know, Bamba and Gordon, you know, they're starting Isaac, Gordon, and Vooch together don't really care for that one uh so i think it would be isaac at center i'd want to see that lineup really try to switch put pressure on their other problem is that they don't have any kind of size at point guard so yeah you can switch with your four and your five but if you can't switch with your one it gets a little harder but there's ways to avoid that if you only have one guy that you can't have in that matchup you can switch him out more easily so Grant's six five, but I don't think of him as a particularly big. No, six he's five. not six five. He's like six two. Oh, interesting. Okay, he's listed. Is he at really five. listed at six five? That can't be right. Yeah, I, is, I don't. What is he? I don't in, think in of the him the as being that I'm tall. Look that up right now while you uh, talk about the next question that we have for them. Well, actually, I'll answer a little bit more on this okay. one briefly. That the so the my favorite combination is Gordon and Isaac, just because I want to see what Isaac does at the five, and I would really like to see all three combinations. And when you have forty eight minutes at two big man positions, they could be giving. Each of these guys around 30 minutes, I'd have Gordon above that line. It's 32 is is the split, but I would have Gordon, you know, more mid 30s, have Bamba mid 20s and then give a couple extra minutes to somebody else. 
but I like all three combinations. I want to see all three without playing all three of them together. Just any, and you know, Gordon, Isaac, Isaac, Bamba, Gordon, Bamba. I'm good with all of them. Huh. Jerry Grant, 6'4", in shoes. 8-4 standing reach. Yeah, it doesn't play too big, but yeah. And 6-8 uh, wingspan. All right. It's, it's bigger than I thought. It, it's it's more, you see him out there and he looks like just the same size as all the rest of these dudes uh, at point guard. Um, Can the Magic defense be good this year under Steve Clifford? And we got, we got about 2 minutes and 30 seconds left here. So I don't think it's possible to be good on defense uh, with Vucevic having a, a large role. That appears to be the case right now. Bamba is still a rookie. He has had some some moments, obviously, blocking shots early in games. Gordon and Isaac still a little bit more potential. Isaac you know, has still had some good moments. They can put some okay defensive units out there. You know, I see them, when Vooch is out there, you know, they're probably a bottom 20 unit. I could see them maybe getting the average with their length, if not their defensive intelligence and execution. But good is, uh, that's probably pushing it uh, this year. I mean, a good defense to me is top 10. So no, I, I don't see them uh, sniffing that. A couple other challenges for them. One, their offense is going to be bad. And so that means a higher proportion of their defensive possessions are going to be in transition. And it's hard harder to defend in transition than in the half court and also i expect this team to foul a bunch and so that's just gonna go against them and i know that's not a hallmark of steve clifford teams but it is a hallmark of young big men so i expect it to be where they end up yeah and actually it's kind of interesting i think deep teams which this team has a lot of guys that they're going to play, even if they're not all that great, uh, some of them. But I think deep teams actually like tend to foul a little bit more because, you know, guy, if you only know you're playing 20 minutes, it's like, you know, fu- the biggest deterrent effect of fouling isn't necessarily, oh, darn, I just gave up two free throws for my team. It's, oh, I don't get to play anymore. <laughs> so if that's less of a deterrent, then you're, you're going to foul a little bit more. Um, I'd actually be curious to see if that, that could empirically be tested. It's something that seems intuitively true, but I'm not sure if it actually is true last quick question here 30 seconds could Vucevic return an asset now that he's expiring if they're willing to take on bad money but not not in and of himself yeah and even then you know someone like Simmons or Fournier or Ross would probably be much higher on the list of players I really just don't think Vucevic helps a good team at all at this point in the playoffs like he's just too easy to attack you know I mean and he's not nearly as good offensively as like someone like Ennis Cantor and even Cantor couldn't get on the floor against most playoff teams all right Philly what adjustment are you shocked that we have a bunch of questions for them yeah we do uh but i really like this one a lot especially because they just played them what adjustments does philly need to make to beat uh, the celtics and oh it's tough because so much of it is just personnel i mean i i think you know i would still like to see ben simmons used more in a pick and roll you know, give them just a little bit more diversity to their offense. I know that Brett Brown doesn't really care for pick and roll as much. That he's proud of the fact that they generally are pretty low in the league in terms of the number of possessions finished by the pick and roll ball handler. But pick and roll is also one of the hardest things to stop when the other team can really lock in on some of the other stuff that you're doing uh and but you know i i'm not with this personnel it seems really difficult right i mean it's really what it has to come down to is just the individuals on this team have to play better or just be different players essentially right like robert covington last year in the playoffs you know he's a solid individual defender and like all right I don't, he's not like a lockdown artist you know he's a little thin doesn't have the most amazing amazing lateral quickness he's an excellent excellent off-ball player but he was just getting blown by last year and like his footwork on closeouts was terrible he was just getting torched like straight line drives in isos like not even getting a hand up on jumpers like so he's just got to play better you know like like that's one Joel Embiid uh you know it's a tough ask for him to 
post up and score against Al Horford, who plays him extremely well. But he's just going to have to do that. Like that's a, and Embiid has looked unbelievable in the two games that he's played, not against the Celtics. You know, I think he's got thirty in both those games on very efficient uh, shooting. Uh, you know, Dario Sharich has to shoot the ball better. You know, I don't know if he could be much better defensively than he's shown. Um, so and uh ben simmons you know he's he's got to find a way to score in the half court a little bit better and you know attack switches uh, himself and, and maybe runs pick and roll but other than just simply running more pick and roll and i thought i thought they tried some things like they tried switching more in that first game to just kind of see how that looked uh and you know they had a few times where joel Embiid was guarding jason tatum that didn't go amazingly well uh but the celtics can kind of be baited into some difficult shots they have a lot of one-on-one creators but if you're not giving up three pointers them you're giving up mid-range twos you know that's probably a win against their offense but you know i don't see a ton strategy wise that i can point to i mean they're trying stuff they deserve credit for that right like they tried way more post-ups and they just you know they couldn't get the ball in they turned it over and then they just weren't efficient but they tried they tried to use the advantages that they theoretically have but to make good on those advantages the players who possess those advantages have to actually take advantage of them and maybe those advantages don't really exist but uh, you know that's that's what it comes down to is those guys just got to play better and then you know there's also other than that there's things like hope markel Fultz develops and uh, you know i i'm terrified that you're gonna give my answer okay. here all right, all right sorry <laughs> Um, so part of why I like this question is while I agree with everything you said, my answer is actually different than that. And, and it's other points. So one thing that's exceedingly important against the Celtics is you have to play guys that the other team has to defend because they're so good at helping and knowing how much functional space we saw this against Markel Fultz. We also saw this with this, with the Celtics when they played against Toronto, Pascal Siakam was gumming up the works a lot for the Raptors because they were just helping off of him. So that's one thing is maximize your rotation. And so that means probably more Redick, less Fultz and a few other elements. Something else that I would like to see them do is exploit Boston's not necessarily zero resistance switches, but they're less resistance switches and use the shot clock. So basically try to get Kyrie Irving on somebody where you don't want Kyrie Irving and that oh, Ben Simmons is perfect for that. Just get him somewhere. Maybe try to get him in foul trouble. You know, if you and so I would actually do some plays where I have whoever Kyrie's guarding set the screen for Ben Simmons and see if yeah. you can force that early switch, in the possession. Let's too, say in the first right because the, yeah, the, in the first six seconds. Yeah, of the shot and clock. their problem is uh, that I totally agree with that. And that's I mean, they've tried plays like that a little bit but their problem is a lot of times you know they get the switch and then they try to get the ball into the post and boston is just so good at communicating and switching behind the play that the mismatch is gone or you know they're pressuring up and you can't get in so i love the idea of you know similar to lebron james you know now simmons is gonna struggle because he can't shoot a jump shot the way lebron james can but if he's got a small guy in him like you just get that switch or force a double team at the point of attack like do that as your first action on every play and then run your play or do that and then clear out but then you run into the issue of well they have faults on the floor you don't have to guard him they've got too many guys that you don't have to guard but you know i i think yeah that's uh letting simmons just okay dribble into a post up uh against a real small player is something that they really should do more of to be sure yeah and another model for this lebron is a great one to bring up but also what the the clippers did before everybody got hurt against the blazers in that series a few years ago where they were just basically treating it as the beginning of their set was getting the matchup they wanted and doing it as you know doing it quickly there you can do that and i think the sixers need to realize that going through everything in their arsenal i want to do this one quickly should the sixers pursue jimmy butler my answer is is no at any reasonable asset price you know like sure there if, if the asking price goes down so what, far, what about yes. the, what about and the, the reason tw- why I mean, this, this won't be what tibbs wants but maybe if like you know he they start off so poorly that he just like loses his but like what if like that 
2021 Miami pick as the centerpiece. That's that's reasonable, right? Well, yeah. If, if it gets if it gets that low, and, and yeah, if it gets that low, that, that's kind of what I'm talking yeah. about. Well, the, see, the downside with Sharks because with Jimmy Butler, I think that he overlaps a little bit too much with Simmons because Jimmy likes having the ball in his hands. So, like in an ideal world, that pairing would work, but I don't think in actuality it would. And he's a little bit too old for me for their core. So, yeah, they're yeah. really good but, right but, now. But it, I just like, I worry a little. But there's bit about no that. way they're going to trade Simmons or Embiid to me. So everything else to me is pretty fungible i mean now now maybe covington i wouldn't want to give up uh, although again you know how good was he gonna be well, yeah but playoffs? i'd be giving those up for somebody who's not a free agent next year and who's well, but, a much but better who, fit who's and, available and has... that's that's the question like like and who's available that they can outbid the celtics for like this is kind of the point i've made with liam when we talked which you weren't here for about miami is like okay you could say yeah we're not gonna give out that much for jimmy butler but like who else are you getting you know like like and, and butler yeah i mean i guess you trade for him and then in theory you know he's got a, a pretty big cap hold so he eats into 10 million of your cap space but you could still probably find a way to do some more stuff in free agency and bring him back as well if you wanted to but it's kind of like oh man like dario Saric. like guess what dario Saric is like not putting philly over the top for a championship like if you could give up like dario Saric uh and that 2021 miami pick because like i just don't see who else you're getting that's gonna make like this huge difference who's gonna be available in the next couple of years that's better than butler if you can get a guy like that do it now see how it works and if it doesn't hey you know what I guess he's going to leave, but, uh, and, you know, I think you also have concerns about his personality meshing with Simmons and Embiid, and people have talked about how those guys, you know, what they're like personality-wise, and then you throw Fultz into the mix as well. I mean, that's another question, like, Fultz, would you you put him on the table for a Butler trade? If he looks the way he's looked for the last little while, I would, I would consider no, I'm saying, him. like, as of right now, you, you got to just project I wouldn't out. just because I... I wouldn't because I just don't think the present value of Jimmy Butler is as high. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with you. It's probably more likely than not to fail. But, you know, a lot of things are more likely than not to fail. And you still have to take the, the chance Jimmy Butler is a hell of a talent. And you, the, the, the hilarious thing here in certain ways is that I would have gone, I would have been much more comfortable going hard after Kawhi. But if this if the Spurs, as it re- has been reporting, happened, that they said Simmons and Beat are no deal, if that was really true, then it's like, well, crap. Like, they're just subject to a team that put a too high price tag on it. Yeah, I mean, but if it turns out and maybe the Spurs just wouldn't have done this but you know Philly's like oh we'll never put Marco Fultz in the deal if it turns out that like they could have had Kawhi and Kawhi looks pretty damn good so far by the way I don't know if you noticed but uh if it turns out they could have had Kawhi if they put Fultz in the deal and they didn't do it you know I, I think that's probably something that they'll end up seeing seeing as a mistake especially because you know by not getting him you created a really good team in Toronto that is probably better than you now too um but who knows that so many unknowns there maybe faults will come through i'm just I'm quite skeptical um all right that's probably good for them let's talk a little uh toronto raptors here right after we tell you about SeatGeek. certainly we would love for you to watch the twitter nba show we did it for that awesome boston toronto game on friday i still can't stop going on about how much i enjoyed that game but wouldn't it even be even better to just be in the building and see geek when you're buying tickets whether it's for sports concerts comedy whatever you want to do they've got you covered by searching multiple ticket sites and then they grade every ticket based on value so it saves you time and money because you've got all the tickets in front of you you don't have to search a bunch of multiple ticket sites on your own and then you just look for that big green dot in the area you want to sit and trust that that's the best value ticket that's available 
and you saved yourself a ton of time if you haven't for some reason tried SeatGeek yet use that cap space code easy remember we talk about it all the time on the program and you get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase just download the SeatGeek app enter promo code cap space and you'll get that $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase SeatGeek life's an event we have the tickets and don't forget that cap space code let them know that you came from us all right starting with the Toronto Raptors now 3-0 after a heroic San Kawhi Leonard win uh, against the Wizards who we'll talk about after this what is the best closing lineup for the Toronto Raptors against the Boston Celtics, Danny? The non-negotiables are really actually not that many numerous. So Kawhi and Kyle Aubrey, I would say, are in that conversation. Then the next tier for me would be OG Ananobi and Danny Green. And the reason why is Danny Green, he looked very good in that yeah, game on he Friday. he fantastic. And so he his defense is is valuable. He's comfortable shoot. You know the the role that you're asking of Danny Green in this Toronto idea against the Celtics is actually pretty similar to what he did in in certain moments of his time against the Spurs. Maybe the defensive scheme is a little bit different, but not too far off. And then OG because he can defend players at a lot of different positions. Again, a low usage guy. And that last spot you could go in a lot of different directions. Could go with a big like Pascal Siakam or Serge Ibaka or JV, or he could go with a small like Fred Van Vliet and I end up more on the side of going with somebody like Siakam I mean he didn't the the Celtics exploited his ball handling and all that so he would need to reach a level where he felt a little bit more comfortable that either he's not going to make those mistakes because he's better or he's not going to make those mistakes because you tell him you can't do it but his versatility being more of a switch guy is is important so I would have Siakam in that last spot ranked probably tentative one now Abaka two just because Abaka is less defensively versatile though I think he's obviously a better player player right now he looked good on friday as well then probably fvv because i don't think you need his creation as much and he's not as versatile defensively then probably valid shootus unless i'm missing somebody i think Darrell, sorry delon Wright is not in this either just because of his size yeah i mean i actually think it's quite possible that their bigger problem against the celtics is going to be offense rather than defense so maybe it would be fan fleet and now if Ananobi, and I, and I think Danny Green absolutely has to be out there because they just need one more knockdown shooter out there. You know, OG, certainly Siakam uh, are limited shooters. And it looks like, you know, they're going to try and get the ball to Kawhi Leonard. And, you know, they need a little bit more shooting around there. I mean, I think Ibaka, I thought, was outstanding uh, against the Celtics shot the ball really well I mean he's probably Ibaka you know among their three through fives other than Leonard the best shooter so I certainly you know a lot of it depends on how well they're playing but I thought Ibaka moved pretty well uh you know when you get Ibaka and OG and then maybe Siakam out there like you start to run into some decision making problems but you know I think and Van Vliet is a very tenacious defender and, and also remember this too this is something that I think is going to start to be a little bit more noticeable is if you are switching they can only go at one guy one-on-one right you know so it's kind of like and and presumably that'd be Lowry and Van Vliet's kind of about the same as Lowry so it's like you know who your second worst defender is doesn't really matter as much and so having Van Vliet out there and and I do think it's nice to have maybe one more ball handler we'll see too how good Kawhi looks as a ball handler Nick Nurse was talking about really wanting to get Kawhi's pick and roll game going a, a little bit more I think that's going to be important for him Kawhi never I think he like the most assists he's ever averaged been like three which is incredibly low for a perimeter player with the type of usage that he's uh, ramped up to here so I, I think I probably would go Van Fleet at this point because I think that just scoring and also being able to get out in transition is really important for this team too and so it, that gives you another guy who can push the pace generally you know he's very experienced at doing that now with the way they played in the second unit Wright might be another one I would even look at too you know we'd see how he'd hold up 
defensively uh, as well i like van vliet more as a shooter off the ball than right so i think he would be my guy i think he's uh, and you know siakam at the five could be interesting because then you can switch some uh as well you know you're not probably going to do that you know ibaka against Kyrie irving is not great you know that's the guy that you're having to defend on the other end i did want to do a little bit of a rant about siakam though i did this on the true nba show but uh siakam has mason Plumley disease right now and you know he granted he's not going to look as good against the celtics or a great defensive team but He's one of these guys who, you know, started off as a really unskilled player. And so it seems like he and maybe even the organization are very proud of like how he's been able to increase his skill level. And so now though, he's like trying to show off the skill level all the time as a grab and go. He had like a couple of turnovers there. He had a couple of really like head down kind of drives into traffic that just didn't really look very good. Uh, And so I felt like he's just, he's got this skill. level. He's like, oh, I'm going to show this off now. But like, yeah, your skill level is a lot better than it used to be. But really like compared to a lot of guys it's like not really that great you know he's not he can't make a three still uh you know his like when a small guard comes around him and really tries to pressure him as the celtics did like his handle is not tight enough to actually like not dribble defensively and not lose the ball so it's just like it's one of these things it's like oh yeah look at all this growth from him like we're so excited uh and i think it's just like a little bit overrated and he's just like trying to do too much now as opposed to just like yeah you know what hey when they throw it to me and i'm open i can now take a couple of dribbles and get to the rim as opposed to oh i'm gonna really push the ball down these guys throats like yeah this is the celtics like marcus smart is going to take your shit pascal yeah his exuberance is usually a strength but at certain moments exuberance could be a weakness javel mcgee is another good example of this at moments in time where it's just like i can do this i'm gonna do it and then and like siakam had that one awful spin move in the celtics game where it's like well that's the right thing to do and it was just an easy steal for boston so yeah that could be very problematic for them do we have any time left yeah we got a, a, about a minute here uh do a couple of real quick hitters is og's best position small forward or power forward i think we'd both agree it is power forward uh just not quite good enough offensively yet at at small forward yeah well defensively i like him i i I like him defending threes like i I was really impressed with what he did lebron and i define a guy's position as who you defend so if if we want to draw that nuance it's there but offensively he offensively you need a guy who's a better forward than him as your other guy so if you want to think of that i disagree with you now because it's just there's a lot of guys who can defend the three but just can't hold up there offensively anymore you know you're justice winslow's i'd say og is is kind of in that category as well unless you have some more space his three ball looks a little bit better this year his decision making is not great still you know we'll see how the euro falls maybe he's taken some steps forward but i still think power forward especially because you know they got this guy Kawhi Leonard on the team uh should anything less than a finals appearance be considered a failure for this team this year uh yeah you know i think so unless uh you know there's some injury concern where they just couldn't have gotten there but i mean you probably got to get to the finals to have a chance to retain Kawhi Leonard so yeah that's the goal and that Masai Jerry has been very and, and even their local broadcast team uh it was uh very clear that like that's got to be the goal this year so uh yeah i would say it's a disappointment but not a failure just because they're i don't think they're necessarily the best team in the conference so it's hard for me to say that it would be a failure but it would certainly be pretty yeah. disappointing. well i mean wasn't it a failure for houston and not get to the finals last year i mean I, I, just in terms of their internal goal you know I, you could it could still be a failure like I, I think i don't think anyone in the organization would be like oh i feel really good about the season we had if they don't make it to the final that's kind of what i judge that by uh wizards here you uh wanted to uh discuss uh scott brooks his quote about Otto yeah so after their loss to the Kawhi-less raptors scott brooks was not pleased and from fred katz wrote a really nice piece for the athletic theathletic.com slash cap space that as somebody who did not watch that game it, it, it colored in between the lines because I, I i kind of felt like something had gone on there and so the first big quote was he was asked because Otto porter didn't play a ton in that game and he said i want guys to play hard we got to play hard you 
You don't need extra minutes to play hard. Got to play hard, everybody. And that's a pretty strong indictment of somebody who's making a ton of money for your team. Somebody so he, who, he's while they have other forwards, about Otto Porter in that quote. It seems to be yes. That was that was as as I interpreted Fred's piece. That was my that was my read of it. Yes. Yeah, and then a lot of people have been talking about uh, the number of three pointers that Porter attempted, and that that's been since he's been a, become a more accurate shooter. It's been a hope that he could become a little bit more versatile with those jump shots uh, from downtown. Um, but also, like the Wizards' defense has really sucked. I mean, we talked about uh, their failures on the glass in that loss against Miami. I mean, the other thing too is like you know they just had two close losses, and yeah, they, they were at home, but you know two close losses against playoff teams like in games that kind of could have gone either way uh now granted quite in let quite letter didn't play in that toronto game which i think is uh you know that's always something that's going to put you on the hot seat is like if you lose a game to a team without its best player uh but you know the, the two losses at home to playoff teams i mean i'm not hitting the panic button yet for these guys well i i will note it's two pl- losses at home to playoff teams who were both on the tail end of back-to-backs yeah, that's fair that's makes it a little bit worse so i i went back and reread that section of fred's piece and it was directly about asking why Otto Porter played 25 minutes. So yeah, yeah it was it was an indictment of Otto Porter. He also said that Porter not taking any threes in a game or that that, that was not acceptable. There could be reasons. Again, I didn't watch that game specifically. Yeah, I, but, I don't know that that's I even mean, an indictment of Porter. It could just be, hey, no, no, not necessarily doing a good enough job overall. Right. But that leads sort of into the primary question of this, which is how should the Wizards be looking to change their roster in season? And Washington has these big behemoth contracts which make it hard for them to do a lot i mean they already they already moved jody meeks to reduce their luxury tax bill and they they're still over the tax by i have it as 7.7 million over and they're not going to get all the way under realistically there isn't there isn't a clear-cut way to do that I actually don't see them really like doing much on this roster. Their perimeter depth is pretty good. They have been hurt on their on the interior depth by Dwight Howard missing this time. But there isn't. I mean, other than maybe getting a better guy for the minimum, somebody who they who they trust or something like that, there isn't really a lot that they can do there. Also, the Wizards, their assets are kind of the things that they're going to need on the margins to keep this team at least somewhat cost stable over the next couple of years. So, I mean, I'd be listening on Auto i'd be listening on bradley peel i would of course be listening on john wall because i think his contract is real bad and you see if anything comes out there but i i, I mean i guess would you say that the the easiest way to move this roster would be talking to somebody about markeith or about kelly Oubre? oh man i i don't know it's uh, i mean Oubre. they did not come to an extension with him so it'd have to be someone who is interested in Oubre as a restricted free agent he's a, a tough guy to peg in terms of what his market value is so that's that's going to be difficult you know Oubre hasn't really shown a ton he's shown some development but you know not enough to where hey we're gonna bring this guy in to be our starter you know those are the tough guys to peg in restricted free agency and you know uh, markeith his star has kind of fallen i mean i guess he's like an okay star at power forward but probably really a below average one at this point but he makes you know below average starter money too um so yeah it's very difficult we also had the question of does john wall pass an na test uh you think it's very simple i actually don't think it is uh i think it's possible that they could trade him and not have to like and actually even maybe get something back like you're telling me that the Suns wouldn't just take him like if he just you know plays okay and doesn't get hurt this year like the Suns wouldn't just take him especially because like they well so there's a there's there's a difference with the today test I think of the today test in the abstract which is not any single team and so it's the overall thing he does not necessarily well he actually in my opinion does fail it for every team but my evaluation is probably different than them so well we thought that about 
on the same page. And, and uh, nope, there was one right, and that's that's exactly what what I want to get to. So John Clark, so so John Wall after this season, he will be th- th- that is when the designated veteran contract kicks in. So this is actually we don't know the exact value because we don't know exactly where the cap's going to be. I have the number at four years, a hundred seventy point nine million. So that's oh, more than forty million a season, which is rough, and that's that's a lot of money. He has looked better physically this year, which is very encouraging, and I'm, I'm happy about that for a lot of different reasons. But that is so much money to commit, and the Suns with they don't have a, a massive amount of other obligations. I mean, they have TJ Warren who's getting paid there, but you have to be so sure that he's your guy because if it's not, then you're basically sitting on that for four years and you can't do anything. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't make that trade, but I think there, are, I think there are multiple teams that would trade for him, um, and would even give up something uh, to do it, uh, especially because this year he's not making that much, so you can actually like, yeah, that's get, true. get him in there, and and the the salary matching is a loser, and a team like the Suns, it's like, well, they even. Like the Suns, Sorry. the Suns have twenty million in space next summer, right? So you kind of think of it as like, okay, we trade for John Wall now, and would we rather have John Wall next summer, or would we rather have whoever we can get for twenty million in space? It's kind of like, eh, you know, like it, you can. It, it's easy to talk yourself into it, even if you know, perhaps it, it would be. And especially a team like the Suns, it's like, oh, maybe they could even like start to think about the playoffs if they got John Wall and they've been mired uh, in the metaphorical desert for uh, for so long. Uh, but what were you gonna say? I was going to say that the other example you brought up Jordan Clarkson which is a a fair one to do is Blake Griffin I mean we thought that Blake Griffin was a a bad contract another player who was paid more for past success than expected value on his next deal and a desperate team traded for him in the first year of that contract and and Kevin Love could end up falling into that category too who knows um uh, we can finish up here with the Dwight Howard situation has officially grown quite concerning there's talk even that he could be back at the start of the regular season with that pure formus uh with my wife being a yoga teacher i'm well familiar with that muscle uh is uh, a butt muscle but all that's connected obviously with the lower back and he's had these surgeries and so you know that, that's uh, it's all related uh, to some of the issues i mean i love the oh yeah but it, this is an unrelated back injury to his other injury like that that's always i don't think that really actually exists uh ooh. We are out of time, but this is the last one, so we can continue here. But just to finish up, uh, he will not be traveling with the Wizards on a five-game road trip, and perhaps that's maybe a little bit more why there's this feeling of doom with the team to have lost two home games, and now you're going on a five-game road trip right at the start of the year. Uh, so he's not traveling with the team. Maybe he could rejoin them. Maybe he's just staying there for surgery. Flying on planes isn't great for your back, but that signing is not looking good. And uh, we can close on this question. Will Dwight Howard opt in to his player option for next year? I think he will. There in, in other words, not, can I, I start mean, using the voice with his? No, uh, I don't think you could start using the voice yet. No, it's <laughs> this isn't like Ron Baker no, 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 or Ennis no, Kenner. Now, if he misses months, if we start to get into that range, then maybe the voice. But yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm trying to think of what what I'm sure there are some voice ones. At some point, that could be like a Patreon mailbag question or yeah. something would be who, who who gets the voice for this year? Oh, yeah. So, but like, but then would I have to just do the voice like 20 for 25 times? For each? No, 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 I mean, no, may, no. Maybe we it's could just, just it's just previewing. We can just like make it a feature, like a periodic feature is like you at the end of the, the episode, like you can just lob me one and like i can decide okay this is this is turning not gonna into start like it that, now though turning into like that seinfeld uh where he like starts dating that woman and like gives her stomach like a little voice it's like starting to get to that low uh yeah but but people like it so i guess it's okay i don't think so, I, from what i recall people didn't like it in the seinfeld episode <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it was catching to the people who were doing it, and maybe that's the only thing. Uh, the, the only thing that matters. So, well, the the person being described with the voice, or who's, uh, I think it was like. It, oh, I, I have an exercise we can do. Oh yeah. Let's just go. Let's do, so. Let's say Dwight Howard misses this entire road trip. I'm gonna go through the five teams and let's think about how they're gonna okay. do. Portland, Golden State, Sac, L.A., and Memphis. And L.A.'s the Clippers. Sorry, I should clarify. I think like two and three they would feel have to feel pretty good about. So that's uh, yeah. Now they're two I and five at the end of that. And, and I think you know I, I'm not sure whether one and four or two and three is more likely on that trip. But you know they'll be significant underdogs in three of the games. And you know a team like the Wizards on the road in the West, you know it's it really against just about anyone. It's hard to make them a favorite, a, a huge favorite. You know, and, and Sacramento can be tough at home and and uh you know they just tech around just beat okc you know you know okc with russell westbrook playing really well tonight so or, ah, ah i screwed up this is airing on monday i've done such a good job of pretending like it was tomorrow until just now but uh that means it's time to end this uh thank you so much for listening uh anything you want to talk about before we depart here well so it came out over the weekend but you can listen to the podcast i did with sam vicini of the athletic on some of the 2019 draft prospects but also the g league policy change because he wrote a piece yes. on that so we talked Excellent about piece. the impact the impact Available at theathletic.com slash cap space, by the way. Sam, he, he like did a ton of reporting, talked to people in college and the pros. And he wrote, I don't know, it was probably like a 3,000 word piece, which was awesome. I, I actually, I'm only about uh, halfway through it, but I mean, that's the sort of awesome, like long form stuff you're getting on, on the athletic at theathletic.com. Right. Slash and, and he, uh, that was actually, we actually delayed the podcast because he was writing that piece. And I'm like, yeah, totally fine. Get your work done. And so that was good. And we talked about player development and all that. It's it's like a two hour podcast. So, so people can listen to that. Also, at some point in the next couple of days, I'm going to try to have out the first piece of, or the first new piece of this big series I'm going to do for The Athletic on previewing free agency in 2019. And so I went through all of the max players and kind of gave a little bit of the breakdown of it and what I think might happen with them. Not predicting teams, but more to the general circumstances. So like writing about Clay Thompson's free agency in particular was something I found interesting because like it hasn't been talked about as much. So, you know, like Jimmy and KD and all those type of guys that's been discussed ad nauseum and it's going to be even more nauseating after that but yeah so that's coming out in warrior's work and whatever else i want to write it's it's probably going to end up there all right talk to y'all on tuesday night till then you must love hoops if you're enjoying another great episode of dunked on the locked on podcast network has more hoops for you locked on has a podcast on every nba team if you're a Lakers fan, a Bucks fan, a Celtics fan, or a Mavericks fan, the Locked On Podcast Network has a daily podcast on your favorite team. All 30 NBA teams have a daily podcast at Locked On. Search on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.